Well, hey, if you can remain standing, can we give glory and honor to Jesus Christ? Come on, he's why we're here. Amen. And if you can quickly just, I'm, I'm a big honor guy. I, I, I believe you have to give honor where honor is due. And I wanted to take a quick moment and I want to honor your lead pastors, pastors Jason and Andrea Isaacs, who are amazing, phenomenal leaders. Come on, are you grateful for your pastors who love you, care for you, sacrifice for this great church? And uh, they've been near and dear friends over the years. And I just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know you have amazing amazing leaders. I don't know you personally, but I know the quality that's in this room and that this church, because when God wants to do something great for a group of people, he sends a leader. When God wanted to free the Egyptians, he sent Moses. When God wanted to continue that leadership, he sent and raised up Joshua. So I don't have to know you. I know your pastors. I know your leaders. I know Pastor Katie. I know your team. So I know that there is greatness here at this church. So I want to honor you. One more time, can we give it up for your, your team, your pastors? You may be seated. And like Pastor Katie said, uh, we have been friends through the years. And uh, she's very kind because so much of what we do is we just figure it out. Um, I'm a local church guy. I was saved in at Seven Hills Church. I was 16 years old. Uh, a, a girl brought me to church, but Jesus made me stay. Amen, somebody? She was like, we're only going to date if you go to church. I said, deal. That's awesome. And then... How many of y'all know God wrecked me, and um, I've been saying yes to Jesus ever since, and um, so now uh, over uh, about going on a decade in full-time ministry, um, I was saved in a youth ministry, so I believe in youth ministry, so I would tell you, if you're young, I love seeing young people in church. If you've got teenagers, get them to youth tonight at 6.30, make it a priority. Uh, whoever says this generation is far from God, they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, this, there, there's a revival happening across America, and, and whether you're 16, 60, 80, 90, um, the church needs you because the, the younger generation needs the older generations to model the way, right? In the last days, God will pour out his spirit. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So regardless of what generation you belong to, you are pivotal to what God is doing, and uh, I am grateful to be here today. Just turn to your neighbors and say, you're blessed today. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're blessed today, too. Say, it's because you're sitting next to me. You're, you're welcome for that. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop telling me what to do, you know, just. No, but um, very briefly, I'll just show you uh, my family, too. I'm married about five years now. We have a beautiful 18-month-old baby boy named Gio. I think they got a picture of him. Look at him right there. She's way more beautiful than I am. Praise God. Anybody else marry up? I did. I did, definitely did, but um, I'll, t I'll talk more about my family later on, but so honored to be here, and I, I won't take much of your time, but I, I do believe each and every one of us is walking around with a big old sticker on our forehead that says, I need encouragement. Anybody ever faced a hopeless situation in your life? Maybe you can look back on one, maybe you're in one currently, maybe it's a, it's a question mark, an obstacle, a battle. And you ask yourself the question, how's God going to get me through this time? How is God ever going to get me through what I'm facing? I'd love to help you find encouragement today. I'd love to just help you walk out these doors and believe with all your heart that your best days are still ahead of you. 
I believe that as a church, the best days are still ahead for Hope City. I believe for your family, the best days are still ahead. For your children, the best days are still ahead. I want to help you find encouragement to keep walking. Just keep walking. Romans chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Somebody say faith. So the promise, verse 16, is received by faith. Somebody say faith. It is given as a free gift. We're all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith, like Abraham, somebody say faith. For Abraham's the father of all who believe. This is what scripture means when God told Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. How many of y'all believe God still brings dead things back to life, still creates new things out of nothing? Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God told him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith, somebody say faith. Oh, we're going to have church today. I love this. His faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. At 100, I would think so. Someone say amen. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, somebody say it, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. God's promises are all throughout Scripture. You can read cover to cover and find hundreds of promises from the Lord, promises that he'll never leave you, Promises he'll never forsake you. Promises he goes before you. That his goodness and his mercy follow behind you. That he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He fights for you. He protects you. He provides for you. You can read cover to cover and find God's promises all throughout scripture. That he's your strength when you're weak. That he's your joy when you're angry. He's, he's everything that you could ever need. There is a promise for whatever area of discouragement that you're facing, every question mark, every battle you're up against, you can find a promise that correlates to the answer that we're looking for. And I want to talk to you about how to find that promise, because I do think that many times where we are and getting to that place in our life where we're walking in that promise fulfilled are two different places. Like, I know God's our healer, but I'm not currently in a place where I'm experiencing healing. I know he's promised that to me. How do I get from where I currently am to seeing that promise fulfilled? Well, I believe I can help you by looking at this text, by looking at God's word, I can help you find the path to the promise. The answer is a place where you get in life. 
where you are, and the path is a how. The choices that we make right now, today, the choices you make leaving here today will absolutely affect the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. I know this because I've lived this as a truth in my own life. And it's something I continually have to remind myself. How I live today, the choices I make today, impact my future. I want to tell you a couple of stories, and I promise you I'm going somewhere with them. But a number of years ago, Al Capone owned virtually all of Chicago. He wasn't famous for doing anything great or heroic. In fact, he was notorious for being a gangster. He led an organized group of illegal bootlegging, prostitution, and murder. Al Capone had a lawyer that he nicknamed Easy Eddie. He called his lawyer Easy Eddie because he could get him out of any situation. There was no situation he found himself in that Easy Eddie could not find a loophole or a way to get Capone away from being attacked by the law. Eddie's skills kept Capone out of prison for a very long time. And Capone showed his appreciation for his lawyer by lavishing him with every luxury imaginable. He would give him the most expensive clothes and cars and watches. And he even bought Easy Eddie his own mansion that took up an entire block in downtown Chicago. Eddie lived the high life. And he gave little regard to all of the atrocities that went on all around him. But he had one soft spot in his heart. He had a son whom he loved completely, and he ensured that he gave his son everything he needed to get ahead in life. Despite Easy Eddie's involvement in crime, he still tried to teach his son the difference between right and wrong. He wanted his son to be a better man than he ever was. But with all that he was, with all of his wealth, there was two things he could never pass on to his son that was a good name and a good example. And this guilt ate him up over the years. It was later that Easy Eddie tried to right all of his wrongs. He went to law enforcement to tell the truth about Al Capone so that he could in some way, shape, or form hopefully have some kind of semblance of integrity to pass on to his son. But in order to do so, he would have to testify in open court against Al Scarface Capone. He knew this would most likely cost him his life. He testified, and sure enough, within a year, Easy Eddie's life ended in an enormous blaze of gunfire in a cold Chicago street. But in his eyes, he gave the greatest gift to his son. Police pulled from his pocket a rosary, a crucifix, and a poem that he clipped from a magazine that said, The clock of life is wound but once. No man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. I want to tell you one other story, and I promise I'm going somewhere with it. Tell your neighbor, he's going somewhere. World War II created many different heroes. One hero was a man by the name of Lieutenant Butch O'Hare, who was a fighter pilot. One day, his entire squadron goes out on a mission, and as they take off from the naval carrier, they're some ways into the mission, and O'Hare looks down at his gauge and realizes that he doesn't have enough fuel to make both the mission and then to return back to the naval carrier. So he lets his commanding officer know this, and he has to divert from the formation in order to head back to the carrier to refuel. 
And on his way back to the carrier, he would see something that would turn his blood cold. He would witness an entire squadron of enemy Japanese planes on their way to the naval carrier. O'Hare has no time to go back to the squadron to let them know of the impending danger. He doesn't have enough fuel. With giving no regard to his own life, the only thing he can think reasonably to do is to engage the enemy squadron completely outnumbered. And it's exactly what he does. There was only time for him to engage. When he begins to attack the formation of enemy fighters, one by one he's maneuvering and dodging in and out and using his machine guns to take out planes and takes one plane out and another plane out and another plane out. When he runs out of ammo, he even begins to use his wings with giving no regard to his own life, just doing what he can to protect his fellow comrades in battle. Finally, the, the enemy squadron is so frustrated by their inability to take out this one fighter that they break formation and return back. Butch O'Hare's flight, or his plane, excuse me, limps back to the naval carrier and he lands, and he had cameras mounted on the wings that would capture the entire events that took place. He was able to take out five enemy aircraft. And because of his, because of his actions this day, he became the Navy's first ace of World War II and the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. At age 29, he was killed in aerial combat, but his hometown would not allow his memory to fade, and today the O'Hare Airport in Chicago stands as a memorial to the heroic efforts of Lieutenant Butch O'Hare. So what do these two stories have in common? It's a lot of talking. I'm go- I told you I was going somewhere with this. Lieutenant Butch O'Hare is Easy Eddie's son. The decisions and the choices that one man made at one point in his life saying, I will no longer live this way. I refuse to let my life continue to go down this path. I refuse to believe what I've believed up until this point any longer. I refuse to allow not just my life to be affected, but the lives of future generations be affected. No more. One man's decisions in his life would impact generations to come. And I want to tell you the same truth. Your choices, your actions, your beliefs, what you choose to put your faith in today, not only impact your life, but your kids and your grandkids and generations to come. Each and every one of us have a choice laid out. What path do we want to follow in life? How will I live? In the face of doubt, how will I live? In the face of uncertainty, in the face of fear, when it seems like the world is against me, how will I live? The scripture we read in Romans is the promise that Abraham receives from God. He receives this promise that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. That's a great promise. That's an amazing promise. But when you're 100 and you don't have kids, that's an improbable promise. I don't know if you know how kids are made. Young people, ask your parents. But at 100, I would say, you know, we like to give Sarah such a hard time for laughing, but Come on. 
A hundred? Yeah, right, God. Come on. I think sometimes we need to look at that text and we put our own lives in that story and we say, I can get healing? Yeah, right. My kids can be saved? Come on. My family? No, you don't know what my, the generation, how I grew up and how they grew up before. I, that could never be different. It's improbable, impossible, illogical. There's no way. But Abraham and Sarah, the Bible says, by faith, received the promise, that answer, that miracle. There is a path that you and I can follow that leads to God's promises in our life, and that path is called faith. It's the path we walk on. Turn to your neighbor and say, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. When you don't see it, keep walking. When it's improbable, keep walking. When it's illogical, keep walking. What does Hebrews tell us? Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The pathway that God wants to call us out onto in life to step towards the promise many times is something we can't see. It's, it's hoping when we have no reason to hope. It's believing when everybody else around us might think we're crazy. But God calls us to walk out on the water. God calls us to walk where others have fallen before us. He calls us to walk into the impossible. Just keep walking. We learn that God is a relational God. When he calls you to walk, he wants to walk with you. We see this in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I think it's amazing when you soar high on wings like eagles. I read that scripture I think my mom probably has that scripture somewhere in her house. But it's an amazing feeling when we're soaring high, when it just feels like you're on the mountain moments of life and everything is going for you and God's favor and hand is evident on your life. It's amazing when we run with the vision God has given us and we're not growing weary. But nobody really gets excited for walking, do we? You all walked in here today. No one was like, you walked in here today, good job. No, we, we cheer for people, right? When they're running, if you've ever seen a marathon, there's people lining the whole way when people are running. We cheer, we get excited for running. But nobody's cheering for walkers. No one's cheering for those that are just taking steps and walking. My grandma, she went on to be with the Lord last year, but she was this little four-foot Cuban lady, and funny as all get out, she loved Jesus passionately, and she had this giant walking stick she would keep right in front of her door. And she would go on these walks every single day. She had some health issues with her heart, with diabetes. So she had to take very good care of her health. So every day, she'd walk out, little forefoot, grab her big old walking stick and walk up and down her road. She'd go walk and she had horses, so she'd go see the horses. But every day, she'd have to go and walk because it was good for her heart. And every so often, she'd have to go in and get a checkup and her doctor would just make sure everything was looking good. But he could tell the condition of her lifestyle based on whether or not she was walking. 
And I can tell you the same is true with you and I. There will be a day where we have to stand before God, our Father, and he'll be able to look at our life, the condition of our heart. And based on our life and the condition of our heart, he can tell whether or not we walked with him. If God were to look at our lives, do we walk with him? Are we spending time with him? Because God wants us more than just on Sunday mornings. He wants us more than just on Sunday nights. But what happens when we walk daily with God, it affects the condition of your heart. When you walk with him daily, it affects how you live. It affects your health. When you walk with him, there is an improvement to the condition of your heart. Your walk with God matters. Turn to your neighbor and say, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Your walk matters. Where you walk matters. Your frequency of walking matters. And the condition of our hearts will be shown by how much we walk with God. When you walk with God, there's really three paths that I want to talk to you about. And the first two go hand in hand. The first two paths I want to talk to you about is the path you follow and the path you don't follow. The path you follow and the the path you don't follow. There's only two paths presented in life. Proverbs tells us in 16, verse 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that logic would tell you is the right way to go. Logic might tell you many times that showing up to church on Sunday morning is a waste of time. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that seems right that if something's been a certain way for 20 years, that it's probably always going to be that way. Logic would tell you that. But when God enters the equation, I think about the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and when Jesus steps onto the scene, it's illogical, it's improbable, but a miracle takes place. God's way supersedes logic. There's a way that seems right. But don't be fooled by what we can logically reason here. There's something, God's ways are higher than our ways. If we could understand every word of this book, you and I would be God. There's so much of this text. I study it every day, but there's so much I don't understand. You could study this every single day for the rest of your life and never scratch the surface of all who God is. There's a way that seems right. And then Jesus says what in chapter 14 of the book of John in verse six? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And to follow one of those paths is to refuse the other. You're at a fork in the road, and there's only so often that we can keep one foot in the world and one foot following the way of the Lord. You have a couple of choices. One path, the Bible's clear that it ends. Logic and our own reasoning, it's destruction in our life. But there is another way. One path is the way. It's the truth, the answer, the miracle, the breakthrough. There's there's another path that leads to pain and confusion, a lack of confidence in our own life. Your walk with God matters. And before you can ever fly, before you can ever run with the vision God has for your life, you and I have to first develop our walk with God. It's important you walk with God. It's important you have time in the word daily. Jesus would pray, give me this day my daily bread. I cannot rely on yesterday's revelation for today's battles. I need a fresh word from God daily. You can't rely on what God spoke to you just on Sunday because Monday, come on, sufficient for, its, for the day is its own troubles. 
I have to have fresh bread, fresh word in my life. I need prayer in my life daily. There was a famous theologian by the name of Smith Wigglesworth who said, I never pray for more than 30 minutes at a time. Like, okay, I can do that. But he says, I never go 30 minutes without praying. Prayer, if Timothy tells us we're to pray without ceasing, that means there ought to be an awareness of God. It's not that every part of our day, our, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're just like all the time praying. No, no, no. Prayer is an awareness of God. Before you're going into meetings, Lord, would you give me wisdom and discernment today? Let it be your words. Soft eyes, soft voice. I want to represent you well. Before you go to the drive-thru, I always ask God if he can just, I don't, not always, I'm going to take that back because I need to get better at this. But I did this this past week, and I said, God, just give me an interaction with somebody. And the barista making my coffee at Starbucks, she, I noticed she had a cross tattoo, and I began to have a conversation with her about church. But I believe that was an interaction because God, I asked God, give me opportunities to show who you are to others. Lord, give me, before you get home from work, God, God, would you help me just leave the stress of work behind so that I can be present for my family, so that I can be a godly example to my kids, to my spouse. Prayer should be a, a part of our day. The, the lie is to think that prayer and the Bible and church is stuff you just keep separate from your real life. And that's the lie. We take our life, we don't try to fit God in. We take the Lord and we fit our life around him. Our walk with him matters. Abraham had to choose what path he was going to follow. He was well aware of his situation, well aware of the impossibility, the improbability, and Sarah laughs at it. It's a hopeless situation. And that which he could not see became his motivation. That which we cannot see, cannot reason, cannot understand, you have to begin to prophesy to your future. Prophesy simply means to speak to the future. Even though there's no hope in this situation, God, I'm believing that there's going to be hope. I'm believing that you're still going to save them. I'm believing you're still the God who heals. You're still Jehovah Rapha. Lord, I believe even though I've lost this battle time and time again, you're still Jehovah Nisi, our banner, our victory. It's a hopeless situation. Believing for that lost child might be a hopeless situation. It's worth believing in. Believing for that marriage that's on the rocks. Believing for healing. Believing for your business. Believing for that job. Believing for your finances. Believing for your relationships. Faith is a belief. Belief requires conviction. And conviction takes action. Right? What does James tell us in chapter 2 verse 20? Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? We have to believe, we have to have faith, we have to rally the possibility that God, maybe he is right. We have to have that belief, but I can't just say, God, change everything in my life and still walk down the path of my own way. There has to be a conviction in my own life and say, God, I believe and I'm going to in the natural do everything that I can do so you can do everything that only you can do in the supernatural. God's not just going to wave a wand and give me what I need. There's action with belief. If you want good friends, I don't know why God won't give me good friends. Proverbs tells us that he who desires friends must see himself be friendly. So we can't expect God to just send us friendships and then be causing drama all the time. <laughs> God, 
This is just for the singles. Send me a relationship, but I'm going to flirt with anything with two legs. No, no. Healthy relationships, stop being around toxic people. Want healthy friendships? Can't be gossiping. Can't be gossiping. I need a breakthrough financially. You have to be willing to budget. There's practicality. Uh, God, I, I, need, I need a better marriage. I need a breakthrough in my marriage. Outserve your spouse. God, there's faith, there's belief, but I'm going to do everything in my power because faith without works is dead. I, I can't be the only provider of this miracle, but I'll do my part, Lord, so you can do what I'm Excuse me, what only you can do. James also tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Your walk with God matters. There was a time where about a year ago, I noticed I was putting on a few LBs, a few extra pounds, and I started getting into running. And if you, I don't know if any, are there any runners? Anybody ever run before? Okay, two of you. So you know how horrible it is. Anybody else like me who just hates running? Like it was it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, I get it. I, I ran. I'm like, you know, I'm going to run. I, you know, got the shoes and the shirt and I go run. And I mean, I take five steps. I'm out of breath and horrible. And I would be running and I'd have all of these like little, um, I guess like battles I'd have, like mental battles, and I would make these compromises with myself. Like I'd be running, and I would tell myself, okay, when I get to that mailbox, then I'm gonna take a break and breathe. And I'd look down, I just wanna look at it, and then I look up, and the mailbox got further away. And I'm like, how did that, how did that happen? But it would take forever. I had this route I would run, and I'd run from my driveway to the end of my neighborhood and back, and it might as well have been five years it took me. It was so long, horrible, hated it. Um, but I started to get, just really take my health seriously, and I would run in the morning, and then when I would get home from work, I would uh, go on a walk with my wife and with my son, and we'd push the stroller through the neighborhood. And we'd be walking, and I don't know if you've ever had a really long or stressful day, sometimes the last thing you wanna do is be around anybody else, and you just wanna be upset, and you want to be stressed out because you're overwhelmed, because you're in a hopeless situation, and the last thing you want to do is talk about it because that would make you sad or even more stressed, and you'd have to be vulnerable. And I remember so many days I would get home, and I would feel just so broken and so down, and I'd have to get in my car. Like, this moment I pulled into the driveway, I'd have to have a conversation with myself, just be present, you don't have to, you know, be the life of the party, just just be present, Savannah, my wife deserves my time, my son deserves my time, and I'd get out of the car, and we'd go on a little walk, and, you know, we'd be walking up and down the street, and that would be, you know, just the time where I would try and just conversate, but the best I could do sometimes was just, how was your day, we'd be walking with a stroller, she'd be like, it was good, and I was like, cool, love it, forcing conversation, and what'd you eat for lunch today? Pushing the strollers. Oh, turkey sandwich, cool, cool. You bought more stuff from Amazon, nice, okay. See, I saw the notifications, yeah, love it. And isn't that sometimes how our prayer life, our walk with God can be? Like we're so stressed out and overwhelmed that the last thing we wanna do is talk to God, because it's just, 
Sometimes we tell ourselves, what's the point, right? Wish I could just be honest with somebody. And we tell ourselves, God's not gonna do this. This is a waste of time. What am I doing? But you show up and you open the book and you read and sometimes you don't wanna read. And you show up at church, you don't wanna be at church and you're praying and praying is the last thing you wanna do. But you showed up and you're there. It's kind of how sometimes those, those walks would feel. And I'd walk, and the craziest thing would start to happen. The more we just walked in that conversation, I was just showing up, the conversation would begin to turn. And we would go from just talking about the mundane to talking about what our day looked like and oh, some good stories and some friends and talking about, oh, this actually happened and this made me think of this. And then we'll begin to talk about our youth ministry that we get to lead and talk about this cool story and that cool story. And then we start to talk about our life and we start to talk about what Gio did and what, how he's gonna be when he's a little bit older. And the conversation turns to the most beautiful, fruitful conversation. And we get so lost in our talk, in our conversation that we're walking, we're pushing the stroller. And I would look up and we'd be at the end of the neighborhood. And I had no idea how quick we got there because I was just so involved in our conversation, so involved in just talking with my wife that we had completely moved from one place to another. And the same is true with our walk with God. If you can show up to walk with God, if you can show up to church and show up for your prayer time and open the book, even when sometimes it feels like you're forcing yourself to, even when it says, God, the last place I wanna be right here is in church, is in my prayer time, is in the word. When you show up in faith, when you show up with expectancy, even just a little bit of faith, what can happen is as you walk with God, as you pray, as you read, the word will speak to you and it'll come alive in you and it'll become a river of living water flowing out from your life and where there was once hopelessness hope begins to rise up and where there was once depression joy begins to rise up and you'll look up and you'll realize you're in a completely different place in your life and you'll say the same question how did I get here I was just walking with God I was just showing up at church I was just praying I was just reading but God has a miraculous ability when you show up when you walk with him when you talk with him he has the ability with you doing what you can do in the natural he can bring a supernatural miracle to your life but your walk with God matters because there's another path I want to talk to you about and it's the path you leave behind there are other people that are looking to your life Abraham kept hope and kept his belief as his guidance on that path to the promise he kept walking and why? What does the Bible tell us? It wasn't just for his benefit. It was for our benefit too. See, Abraham kept hoping, kept believing, and kept walking because he knew that there would be generations down the line that relied on him too. And the same is true for you. There are people in your life that are looking to you. Your children are looking to you. Your friends are looking to you. Your grandkids are looking to you. Young people, your friends at school are looking to you. They know you as the Christian. If you're on social media, you have followers, right? Well, you're, they're following you somewhere. Where are you leading them to? Because there's a path you and I leave behind in our lives. What was the path that Abraham left us? This is the path. His path tells us to hope, even when you don't see it. 
believe even when you don't feel it, and endure even when you want to quit. I know you don't see the hope in, in the situation that you're in right now. Hope anyway. I know you want to quit. I know you want to give up. Endure anyway. I know you don't feel it, and maybe the lie from the enemy is that you're a fake Christian or a hypocrite, right, if you don't feel it all the time. As many times I don't feel it. We're not called to live by feelings. Feelings are designed to follow. We make up our minds, we act, and then feelings will fall in line. I make the conscious choice to believe my God is who he says he is. If he did it for Abraham, he can do it for me. He's the God of generations. I believe, I line up my actions with my belief, and if it takes a month, a year, or 10 for my feelings to follow, so be it. I can think about our own life. When we were newly married, we you know, are excited. Those married folks, y'all know how amazing marriage is. Only five years in, so maybe I should you know, wait before I say stuff like that, but <laughs> it's a joke, it's, it's a joke. My wife isn't here, praise God. But <laughs> don't, don't tell her, come on. Pastor Katie, don't you do it. But when you're young and married, you know, you've got dreams, you've got goals, and I'll tell you a dream you don't expect when you get married is within the first year getting sat down by doctors telling you it's gonna be very difficult or impossible for you to ever have children. That's not something you see coming or plan or understand. If I can just be honest, when you give your life to serving the next generation, it seems unfair. When I'm like, God, I, I, I help everybody else's kids, but I can't have one. And it was painful. We went years with trying different solutions and answers and to no avail. And you're sad, you're confused, you're angry. It's an impossible situation. What do you do when your medical professionals are telling you it's impossible? When we finally found out we were pregnant, we knew it was God. We knew it was a miracle because we had a case. We, our, our case, our, our doctor built this case and she'd have medical students in to study my wife throughout our whole pregnancy because she said there's no way that she should be pregnant right now. And she'd have students in and they'd be learning and I'm I know, I know how, I know how. Our God is the God of the impossible. And I'm not saying every day was me praising Jesus. There was many days where I was angry and I was broken and I was confused and I was hurting and church was the last place I wanted to be. I wanted to quit, I wanted to give up. I'm a man first, I'm not a pastor, I'm just human. I just had to keep believing. I had people that helped me stay on that path. I know you want to quit. Keep enduring. I know you don't feel it. Believe anyway. I know you don't see it. Hope anyway. God is still able to do the impossible. 
You just have to keep walking. Just keep walking. Keep walking. We named him Geo Samuel. Geo means God is gracious, and Samuel means God heard my prayer. And if you could, I'd like to invite you to stand up to your feet, and I'd like to close this time praying that same declaration over you.